So, thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to look at Parshat Shoftim. Shoftim. Shoftim is a very, very special parsha. There's many, many issues in Shoftim that one can address and one can talk about. And over the years, I've given many shiurim on Shoftim. They are available on my website. I've given a very interesting shir. Uh, and, you know, today we're going to touch on this issue, but not really address it. But if you want to check it out on my website, a shir about the Jewish views on magic and the occult. And, of course, it's all found in Parsha Shoftim. It's the first place that it's really mentioned in the context of Judaism. It's mentioned elsewhere. We know that uh, Paro had his magicians uh, and wizards who advised him, his astrologers. But for the first time in terms in the context of Judaism, it's mentioned in this week's Parsha, as we're going to see. But for a much um, more intensive and deep look at this particular topic, I would refer you to uh, my previous share given some years ago on, on the matter of magic in Judaism. Today we're going to look at it from a slightly different perspective and I want to welcome all those of you who are here live um, with me on Zoom. But just uh, for those who are not live and who are watching on YouTube, uh, don't forget that you can subscribe. All you need to do is to uh, uh, pass your mouse over the bottom right-hand corner of the screen in which you can see me talking now and you'll see a little icon with my face on. Click on it and you can, come, you can become a subscriber to my YouTube channel. I'd love that um, and uh, so please do that. Or if you're listening to SoundCloud, you can subscribe to the SoundCloud as well. Of course, the a source sheet for this week's share is available on my website and it's available on SoundCloud and on YouTube so you can access the information in any way that you see fit and I, uh, I, I actually encourage you to print off the source sheets that you can look in greater depth at some of the things that I'll be discussing today because of course whenever I cover a topic I do so um, somewhat cursorily but uh, if you want to look at it in greater depth I would encourage you to look at the source sheet, if at all possible. Parsha Shoftim contains a posuk with which you are probably quite familiar. It's, not, it's source number one, but it's also mentioned in source number two. It's source number one in your source sheet. The source is in Perek Yudches, the 18th chapter of Dvarim. Of course, uh, it's a part of one of Moshe Rabbeinu's final speeches to the Jewish nation before he passed on, as you know, at the end of Dvarim, he passed on at the end of Azois HaBrocha. Um, and the, uh, the whole book of Dvarim, in essence, and I've discussed this before as well, is a series of speeches, a series of addresses that was given by Moshe Rabbeinu, who's not known for his fine oratory. And nevertheless, um, they are considered to be so central to Judaism that God included them, them as part of the Torah itself. They are part of the five books of Moses which make up the Torah, the essence of Judaism. Of course, we have many other books. There's 24 books which make up Torah Shebich but the first five books are the key books. They make up the Torah itself, and they are the key text for what it means to be a Jew, from which most of the oral law is, uh, originates. And um, Moshe Rabbeinu, as in one of the speeches he gave before he died, made the following statement. And in isolation, I think we're all going to understand exactly what it means. But you're going to see that there's a slight difference between the way the medieval commentaries, that means the commentaries of the Rishonim, refer to this particular posuk and the way in which the Hasidic, and I focus this week on the Hasidic, uh, commentaries address this particular posuk, and you're going to be more familiar with the Hasidic version than with the version of the Rambam and the Ramban that we're going to also be talking about. So the posuk in question, look at source number one, is Tomim Tia Im Hashem Eloikecha. You must be perfect, you must be complete with God, your God. Tomim, we know what the word Tomim means, right? It doesn't mean Tom. Um, as we have it in the Haggadah. Tom is the simple son, and yet there's some essence of it there. So the truth is, even though that's not exactly what it means, but in essence, Tom's simplicity 
um, somehow underpins this idea that you have to be perfect, you have to be complete. It shouldn't be complex, it shouldn't be complicated. Your relationship with God should be a very simple relationship. I'll give you an example of a simple relationship. You have a child, you love your child. The love that you have for your child is simple. It's because you are a father or a mother to your child. That's it. There's nothing else to talk about now. There could be great complexities in that relationship which are not related to love. But the love that you have for your child is absolutely simple. Similarly, and I'm, I'm going to use this example because it's going to come up later on. If somebody points a gun at you, it should never happen, but if somebody points a gun at you, your relationship with that person is very simple. It's based on fear, right? There's no complexity there. You're scared for your life. So that's a, um, a, a totally one-sided relationship. There's no complexity involved in it whatsoever. You have fear for the person who's pointing a gun at you. There is a, um, a perfection almost in that relationship. Now, it could be that there's other things going on in your mind. You're thinking to yourself, why is that person pointing a gun at me? How can I get out of this situation? Whatever that may be. But in essence, there is an absolute one track when it comes to that relationship. Says the Posuk, and this is seemingly what it means to be saying, Your relationship with God should be utterly simple. So now, I'm going to take a step back from that interpretation, which is of course the one we're all familiar with, and I'm going to uh, look at the Rambam and the Ramban, who look at it somewhat in context to what comes immediately before. And I have to tell you, these are not the only Rishonim to address this particular issue. If you look at the other Rishonim, they also talk about it. But obviously, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to go through every single one, because I think that the approach of the Rambam and the Ramban really addresses the situation. The Rambam sees Tomim Tiyashem Kecha as a piece of uh, advice, guidance by Moshe Rabbeinu, the Ramban sees it as an actual mitzvah, as we're going to see. So there's some difference between them on, in that sense. But essentially they agree on one very important point. That what the Torah means to convey with this posuk, Tomim Tiha Hashem Elokecha, has a very direct meaning, a very specific meaning. And they're disagreeing about uh, a particular aspect of that meaning. But essentially they're agreeing on the point that that's what it means. You're going to see that that is totally differentiated when it comes to the interpretation of the Hasidic masters of the 19th century. So let's have a look. So the context is as follows. We're going to read all the psukim, the psukim um, which precede this posuk, which is in chapter 18. So chapter 18 posuk tes, is posuk yud gimel. So the, let's look at it from Posuk Test. So Moshe Rabbeinu begins with a warning. He says, when you enter the land that God your God is giving you, you shall not learn to imitate the abhorrent practices of those nations. In other words, the nations that currently live in the land of Canaan. You're going to turn it into the land of Israel. You're going to turn it into the promised land the cherished heritage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the land that was promised to your forefathers, to your forebears, all those years ago. You are now going to um, use this opportunity to flip the country that is full of um, terrible things, full of idolatry, full of uh, um, uh, the type of practices that God finds abhorrent, and you're going to change it into a land of God, into a land of faith, into a land that can be home to the Beis Hamikdash. Okay, that's the beginning, the fire, firing shot, the initial shot firing over the bows. Continues Moshe Rabbeinu. So now Moshe Rabbeinu gets much more specific. Okay, and if you listen to that other share that I mentioned, you'll see the importance of every single element of this particular posuk in terms of our relationship with magic and how it's interpreted by various commentaries. But we're going to just look at it on a very superficial level. Moshe Rabbeinu specifies what is it that the Canaanite nations do that is abhorrent to God. Let no one be found among you 
who consigns his son or his daughter to the fire. That's what they used to do as part of the worship of Baal or any one of the other uh, pagan gods. They would offer up their children as sacrifices. You must never sacrifice your child to a pagan god. In fact, to God or to a pagan god. But this is not something which God demands of you. But it is something that pagan gods or pagan priests do demand of you. You shouldn't uh, have any association with someone who is an augur, a soothsayer, a diviner, a sorcerer. There were many people, uh, and today we'd be familiar with the term witch doctors, right? The idea that there are people who you can go to, tarot card readers, who can somehow predict the future, who can make out uh, what you are, who you are based on astrology, based on who knows what. They read your palm and they read tarot cards, they look at tea leaves, whatever it is that they do you mustn't associate with any of that. That is exactly what God wants you to avoid when you come into the Holy Land. You can't be associated with anyone who casts spells or one who consults with ghosts or spirits or one who inquires of the dead. No seances if you are a Jew. That's totally inappropriate. Now the Rambam believes all of this to be a bunch of nonsense as we're going to see. He says the reason you shouldn't associate with it is because you're believing in something that doesn't make any sense. There are others who disagree with the Rambam who is of course a complete rationalist and they say that actually these things do exist and if you know what you're doing you can uh, use astrology or seances or whatever it is as a, as a method of accessing realms that are beyond, generally speaking, beyond uh, uh, the human condition. Uh, but in any event, the Torah is warning you off these. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, do not have anything to do with them. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, for anyone who does such things is abhorrent to God. And it is because of these abhorrent things that God your God is dispossessing them, these nations, before you. And now we have this posuk, Tomim Tiem Hashem you must be perfect and complete with God, your God. So now we see the context and it is on this basis that there is shown him and we're particularly going to look at Maimonides and Nachmanides to see what it is that there is shown him draw out of these um, references and out of this posuk Tomim Tiem Hashem Kecha. I've translated the Rambam. The Rambam can be found in Mishnah Torah, Hilchsavoy Zorah, chapter Yud Aleph and it is in Halacha Tezayin. And he's augmenting the prohibition against idolatry via this posuk of Tomim Ti Hashem He doesn't see it as in and of itself a significant posuk. He sees it simply as an additional um, piece of advice that Moshe Rabbeinu was giving to the Jewish nation with reference to idolatry, paganism and belief in the occult, belief in things which are outside of the Jewish faith. All the above matters, says the Rambam, with reference to all the different things that were described in these psukim and which he talks about in Hilsavoid Zorah, are falsehood and lies with which the original idolaters deceived the Gentile nations in order to lead them after them. He doesn't see any value in soothsaying, in witch doctoring, in astrology or in any of these things, as far as he is concerned. The Rambam believes all of them to be a bunch of nonsense, nonsense, hocus pocus, don't believe in any of it. It is not fitting for the Jews, he says, who are the wise sages to be drawn into such emptiness nor to consider that they have any value. And as we see a posuk in Bamidbar, Perik Chof Gimel, Pasuk Chof Gimel, no black magic can be found among uh, Yaakov or occult cult arts within Israel. As far as the Rambam is concerned, it is completely antithetical to any kind of Jewish faith, any kind of belief in God to be associated with the black arts. Similarly, we see these nations which are driving out, uh, you are driving out, listen to astrologers and diviners. It's a posuk in Dvaring, Perik Yudches, posuk Yudalad. It's the next posuk after um, after this, after Tomim Tiyam Shemala Kecha, this is not what God has granted you. As far as the Rambam is concerned, this is utterly um, uh, um, abhorrent to God, as the Posuk says, not because it has any value, but specifically because it has no value. Whoever believes in occult arts of this nature and in his heart thinks that they are true in words of wisdom, but are just forbidden by the Torah, 
So the reason why you're not allowed to involve yourself in black magic is not because there's anything wrong with black magic or because it doesn't exist. Black magic is real. Anybody who believes that, says the Rambam, is foolish and feeble-minded. He is considered, and this is a, a bit of a controversial sentence, a controversial a statement by the Rambam. Some of, uh, some of you watching this or listening to this might be offended. Don't be offended. This is the Rambam writing in his day for his people. He says that he is considered like women and children who have underdeveloped intellects. Of course, in the day of the Rambam, women and children were not allowed to learn some of these things. It's only if you were an adult and you were male that you were permitted to study the things that are being described here. And he said there are certain primitive aspects or underdeveloped aspects of the way women and, and children approach things and therefore uh, they are drawn to that which is wrong because they have limited intellectual capacity. Uh, you know, speaking in his day, he was probably correct. Nowadays, that wouldn't be correct. Of course, uh, women are equally educated as men. Uh, they are, there's absolutely no difference as to what women know as to what men know. And therefore, I think what he is simply saying is that those who are intellectually inferior, in his day, it may have been with reference to women and children, and in our day, it may be to people who are just not educated, who come from an uneducated background. Those people are the ones who are attracted to black magic and to the occult. The masters of wisdom and those of perfect knowledge know with clear proof that all these crafts which the Torah forbade are not reflections of wisdom, says the Rambam, but rather emptiness and vanity which attracted the feeble-minded and caused them to abandon all the paths of truth. For these reasons, when the Torah warned against all these empty matters, he's now going to quote the words of Moshe Rabbeinu with which we began this shir. It advised, and this is the posuk, perik yud ches, posuk yud gimel, tomim tihiyeh im Hashem be of perfect faith with God, your God. In other words, tomim tihiyeh Hashem im is a piece of advice to tell you that if you are perfect in your faith, you will not consider these aspects of life which you are avoiding because you're a person of faith to be of any value. He is telling you that Moshe Rabbeinu, as far as he is concerned, is uh, warning you off something that doesn't really exist, that is fake, that is a fraud. Don't believe that these things actually exist, but you are avoiding them you need to believe that they don't exist and that they're not real and that they are fake. And only then, can you be perfect, can you be complete in your faith to God, your God. That's the Rambam's view. Let's look at the Ramban. And of course, you can look at it in its original format in the source sheet which I have provided. But let's read through it. He actually um, disputes the fact that the Rambam did not include Tomim Tiyem Hashem Kecha in his count of mitzvahs. You know that the Rambam, Maimonides, wrote something called Sefer HaMitzvahs. What's Sefer HaMitzvahs? So we know from a Gemara in Makkus, the end of Makkus, Dorash Rabbi Simloi. Rabbi Simloi explained that there are 613 mitzvahs in the Torah. It seems that everybody knew that there were 613 mitzvahs, but he proved it from a uh, text uh, uh, text source, he found a source text for it and he expounded on it and he explained to us there are 613 mitzvahs. The problem is that the mitzvahs are not enumerated in the Torah. So there's many things in the Torah which could be included in the uh, count of the 613 mitzvahs. And there are a number of different counts that exist. The first and most popular um, original text was the one which was created by Sadia Gaon, the, uh, f the one of the final of the Gaonim, one of the final of the uh, era of the Gaonim, Rabbi Sadia Gaon. He put together Sefer Mitzvahs. It's a very poetic. It's not written um, in a it's sort of in a clinical style. It's written in a very poetic style. And if you look, you'll see that there's a, a fantastic commentary on the Rabbeinu Sadia Gaon's Sefer Mitzvahs by Mahari Perla. He was a Polish scholar of the early 20th century 
uh, he was an extraordinary scholar and he explains Sadia Gaon's Sefer Mitzvahs. There's another famous early count of mitzvahs, the Bal Halochus Gedolos, one of the very first. The Rambam didn't like the count of mitzvahs that he saw in the Halochus Gedolos, and therefore he created his own count of 613 mitzvahs. Well, you know what? There were plenty of people who didn't consider the Rambam's count to be entirely correct, and they challenged him on it, the most famous being the Ramban who wrote a critique of the Sefer Mitzvahs and he took away some of the mitzvahs that the Rambam had included and added some of his own. In fact, if you count all the mitzvahs that are included in the various counts of mitzvahs that exist, you'll see there's probably around a thousand mitzvahs potentially in the Torah, but we know that there are only really 613 mitzvahs de'oraisa, mitzvahs that are absolutely Torah ordained. They are based in the Torah and therefore if you transgress them you have transgressed a Torah prohibition or a Torah commandment. That being the case, in this particular instance we see that the Rambam did not include Tomim Tiehem Hashem Alekecha as one of the mitzvahs in the Torah. He, he, uh, his opinion was, was that the Posuk Tomim Tiehem Hashem Alekecha is simply a piece of advice that augments the concept of idolatry in terms of its prohibition. The Ramban disagrees with him, and now we're going to read through the Ramban. He says that Tomim Tia is actually a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah in and of itself. What is it? We are being commanded that our hearts should be complete with God. And that's what it means when it says You must be complete with God in every aspect of your faith. You must be Tomim. What does this commandment actually mean? What is the concept behind it? That our heart must be uniquely dedicated to God. That is a commandment according to the Ramban. It's an actual mitzvah. A mitzvah in the Torah. That it's not enough to do all the mitzvahs and believe that God exists. But our heart has to be uh, totally committed to God to the exclusion of anything else. We have to believe that He does everything. And He's the one that knows the truth about anything that is going to happen, that is going to happen in the future. And it's from Him that anything that is about to happen or that is in the future emanates. And if you want to know that, you can consult His prophets or you can consult those who are his faithful. You must never consult those who are experts in this field, who are prognosticators, who are uh, people who are soothsayers, predictors of the future. And you must never believe that their words, that which they predict is going to come about. Your faith must be that everything is um, is in the hands of heaven. Because God is able to change that which is predicted in the stars according to his will. It's true that if you look at the stars, you can make certain um, assumptions based on what the stars, the, the, the way that the constellations appear to you, and there is an art of astrology that can enable you to see the future. But you should know that even though that future does exist and you can predict the future based on what the stars tell you, God can change that in the split second. It's up to him to change it because that which is written in the stars is not actually something that God has to adhere to. And that you need to know, this is so important, that it may be true that those who have no relationship with God are subject to the predictions of the stars. But in fact, our future is much more connected to the way we relate to God. The more related we are to God, the less we are dependent on the predictions of the stars. And it says in the final chapter of Tractate Pesachim, 
which is uh, about Pesach, of course, but has many other references in it. How do we know, says the Gemara, that we are not permitted to seek um, information about the future from those, the Chaldees, those from that original nation from which Avram Avinu emerged. Because it says you must be complete with Hashem, your God. And the Chaldees are a group, a nation, who, uh, who are a remainder of the nation, who continue to be involved in uh, the uh, idol worship that we are familiar with from the family of Avram Avinu, those who had abandoned the faith of God, faith in God. We know that in the between the generations um, of Noah and Avraham, we know that there was a, com a complete separation between God and the human race. And it was only because Avram Avinu, of his own volition, discovered God, that God re-emerged into the human psyche and that faith became something that existed in this world again. And the Chaldees are the poster child nation of this drift away from God in a complete belief system that is devoid of any faith in God. How do we know this? How do we know that we're not out, uh, allowed to seek information from the Chaldees? We're not allowed to seek information from soothsayers and prognosticators who base themselves on knowledge, let's say, of astrology. Because this posuk is the mitzvah in the Torah that forbids us from ever seeking information from those who are predicting the future based on that type of knowledge. Let's look at what the Sifri says. If you do that which is said about this matter, says the Sifri, you are a tam. You are somebody who is complete, not a simpleton, but simple in your completeness with God and your perfection with God, your God. And let's understand this through the prism of Avram Avinu, Abraham, the originating forefather of the Jewish nation. When he, when he was about to strike a covenant with God, that God was going to give him descendants, Omar, he said, What did God say to him? Go before me and you should be Tomim. What did that mean? What did God mean by that? Because Avram Avinu is the ultimate. He is the foundation, the platform of faith in the world. He's the one who differentiated himself from these Kastim, from these Chaldeans, from these people who had complete faith in uh, uh, in this uh, um, alternative form of information about the future, about human life. Who were they? They were people who completely based everything that they did on the sun, on the moon, on the stars. But he saw that beyond the sun and the moon and the stars, which clearly influenced the life of every human being. He saw that there was something beyond that. There was a creator that rose above that. Says the Ramban. It's not enough that Avram Avinu realized that there was a creator, that there was a Hashem Yisparach, that there was a Hakodesh Baruchu, that there was a Rebbeinoi Shaloylam. That was not sufficient. Says God to Avram Avinu. What does that mean? that uh, um, he is saying to him that uh, he should understand that besides for God there is no such thing as truth. Everything else is a distraction. Don't include anything that they tell you at all. Don't allow any of their influence to somehow um, insert itself into your worldview. Um, um, even though, um, even though that we know, I mean, the fact is, Avram Avinu knew that there was value in astrology. He didn't dismiss it, says the Ramban. 
By the way, this is totally different than what the Rambam is telling us. The Ramban believes that astrology is true, that there is some truth to it, that there is value to it. But nevertheless, if you are a person of faith, you have to divorce yourself from this system and completely put yourself outside of it. Koloma, lo yamin bahen, you shouldn't believe in them. But kalal in these signs that emerge from the heavens. Even though these people have powers, you mustn't in any in any um, way, shape, or form allow yourself to be influenced by them to, or to think that they have some power over you. In other words, that you find some combination some fusion between your belief system in God and their system which includes this astrology or other methods by which you can tell the future. What does it mean? You must be completely devoted, 100% devoted to God to the exclusion of anything else. And that is what is underlying this particular commandment. This commandment that the Ramban includes, that the Ramban doesn't include. The Ramban says it's not a mitzvah because there's no value to the concept of astrology. There's no value to uh, witch doctoring. It doesn't mean anything. It's totally meaningless. It's nonsense. The Ramban says it's not nonsense. But nevertheless, there is a mitzvah to exclude it from your worldview, to exclude it from your faith system. V'ulai. The Rambam may be thought Maybe he thought, you know, he's looking for a way to mitigate the Rambam's exclusion of this posuk as a mitzvah in the Torah. He said maybe he thought it was included in another mitzvah, as it says in Tehillim. We know that there are other mitzvahs that say that you must believe in God and it's important to be faithful in God. And he perhaps thought that this mitzvah can be included in that mitzvah. He says, no, this is a mitzvah in and of itself. It's in incredibly important, even if, you, by the way, that's that the point here is the Ramban clearly felt that there would be people who would see the power of the occult, who would experience firsthand the power of black magic, the power of astrology, the power of those who are soothsayers and prognosticators and wizards and who knows what else, that they can do things and they would suddenly say, okay, we believe in God, but that doesn't mean we must dismiss these other powers. He says, you must. You must dismiss these other powers with reference to yourselves when it comes to your belief in God. If you are a true Jew, don't ever buy into that side of the human, uh, um, of the human condition in order to conduct your life. That would be very, very wrong. So now we see that the dispute here between the Rambam and the Ramban is about the context. The context of the Psukim here in Perik Yudches of Dvarim. That Tomim Tiem Hashem Kecha is somehow related to this concept, to this idea that there does exist powers which are beyond or not, um, uh, uh, beyond God. The Rambam says they don't exist and therefore don't believe in them. The Ramban says they do exist, but you still mustn't believe in them. And this mitzvah is Tomim Tiyah Hashem Aleikecha, The Rambam says it's not a mitzvah, it's a piece of advice, but it's related to the context of this idea that prognosticators and magicians and wizards do exist. But now we're going to take a step out of that particular goldfish bowl. We're going to look beyond it because Tomim Tiem Hashem Aleikecha has taken on a whole new meaning. We don't live in particularly in a world which believes in magic, black magic and prognostications. I don't know anybody but, uh, personally who's been to a seance or a tarot card reader who believes in, uh, in this idea that there is an occult, that there is black magic. However, we do believe in this concept of Tomim Tiyeh Mashem Kecha. We do understand that Tomim Tiyeh Mashem Kecha means that you must be perfect, that you must, uh, you must uh, um, be complete in your faith to God because it's so, so important. It's so incredibly important for you to be a person who understands that God is of paramount importance in your life, of primary importance in your life. And therefore, Tomim Tiem Hashem according to the Hasidic masters, took on an amazing um, uh, level of importance and 
therefore I'm going to look at the Hasidic masters for a whole new perspective on Tomim Tiyeh in Hashem Aleichechon. Let's take a look at the next source, which is um, the Igra de Kala. The Igra de Kala, Tzvi Elimelech Shpira of Dinov, he's a, the founder of the Munkach dynasty, although he didn't live in Munkach, it was only his grandson, his great-grandson who lived in Munkach, but um, the uh, foundational figure of the Munkach dynasty was Reb Tzvi Elimelech Spira of Dinov, and he wrote a parish, um, he wrote a parish on the Chumish, and it's called Igra de Kala. And we're going to look, he, he has a, a number of different pshotim, a number of different explanations of this particular posuk. And we're going to look at some of them. I think there's five or six of them. I'm going to look at three. So if you look at, at um, source number five in your source sheet, you will see the Igra de Kala. Tomim tiem Hashem Kecha, he says. Yirmoiz al hayomim shemin Rosh Hashanah Rabba. You know that we're about to begin the month of Elul. He says, you know what Tomim Tiyem Hashem actually means? It's there to remind you of this period of time between Rosh Hashanah and Hoshana Rabbah. Why is Hoshana Rabbah important? She'oz hi eis rotzoin ligmar hachsima latoiva. Hoshana Rabbah, the last day of Sukkot, is the final day. It's the final moment, as it were, of Ne'ila when the future of the next year is decided. Tomim Tiyem Hashem is a hint at this particular period of time that we are now anticipating. We're only a month away from Rosh Hashanah. We're only a month away from the new year, from the Yom Hadin. Says the Igra de Kala. Tomim Tiyem Hashem How many hours are there in this period of time between Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and Hoshana Rabbah, until the final two hours of the day, Tov Tzadi, you do the calculation. There are 490 hours. V'yesh b'hen Tov Tzadi Shois Minyan Tomim. That is the, uh, if you calculate the value of the letters in the word Tomim, Tomim is Tov 400, Mem, is 40, Yud is 10, and Mem is 40. How much is that? 490. There's 490 hours between Rosh Hashanah and Hoshana Rabbah. Tomim tiye bechol hashois halolu im Hashem Throughout that period of time, you should be entirely complete with God, devoted to God, and you should um, uh, totally, uh, if you can, if you're able to, Devote yourself to God during this period of time. You know, I spoke yesterday um, at a community-wide event. It was a Zoom. I spoke about the fact that last year on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, we said, We said, who will live and who will die? Who could ever have anticipated? In that September day, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, of Tovshi and Pei, all the death and illness and sickness and suffering that we have experienced over these past few months, just a few months. And we said it, mi yichye, mi yomus, who will live, who will die? Who would have ever thought that some of the people that we have heard that passed away over these past few months, some from COVID, some from other illnesses, perhaps related to the fact that the COVID virus is there, who could ever have imagined, who could ever have thought that that which we have experienced over these past few months could ever happen? When we said those words, we were so blasé. We thought our lives are, you know, like last Rosh Hashanah and the Rosh Hashanah before. And yet our world has changed completely. Says Reb Tzvi Ali Melech Adinav, the Dinavar. Do you know what he says? Tomim Tia Mashem don't waste a moment, don't waste a minute, don't waste an hour. The 490 hours that you have from Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, until the end of Hashanah Rabbah, you have 490 hours. Use those hours wisely. Make sure that you are Tomim, 
you are 490 hours devoted to Yeh Hashem with God your God. That's the first piece of advice that he gives. It's not related to prognosticators and soothsayers and witches and wizards. He's telling us that Tomim Tiyem Hashem is a standalone piece of advice that Moshe Rabbeinu is giving us. Use your time, the time of Yom Hadin wisely. You have ample opportunity during that period of time to make your best effort, to put your best foot forward for the future year, for the next year. Do it. The next piece he says, There's a Gemara in Yuma, he says. In one place, the Gemara tells us that it says that as a result of repentance, those things that you did wrong are considered to be merits. They're like mitzvahs. Can you imagine that? You did Navera. You did something wrong. I don't want to say what you did wrong. You did tshuva properly. I'm not going to go through Hilch's tshuva of the Rambam now. But you went through Hilch's tshuva of the Rambam and you made sure that you did proper tshuva on all your Averas. What happens to your Avera? You still did it, right? No. It's a remarkable thing. It's a transformation. The thing that you did wrong, if you did proper tshuva, says the Gemara, turns into a zechus, turns into a merit, like a mitzvah. I did something wrong. I ate bacon. But I did proper tshuva for it. Suddenly the bacon becomes like you ate shulant. By the way, that's another Avera. How's that even possible? That's another shir. How is it possible to turn an Avera into a zechus? But that's one side of it. The Gemara continues and says, There is another place that says that if you do teshuva, that it becomes like a shoigeg. What's a shoigeg? An inadvertent, accidental Avera. Yeah, you know. Somebody put a plate in front of you and you didn't ask what the Heksha was. You didn't ask who the Rav HaMachshir was. You didn't ask, is it OU glut? Or is it OK glut? Or which Heksha? And you ate what was on your plate. And afterwards, the fellow says to you, oh, by the way, that what you just ate was bacon. What's that called? That's called a shoigeg. Okay? So that requires a certain level of tshuva. But what happens if you did it on purpose? You ate bacon on purpose. You did any avera. You didn't keep Shabbos on purpose. How, how are you going to deal with that? So if you do teshuva, according to this version, it's no longer considered a deliberate sin. It's considered an inadvertent sin. Like a sort of accidental sin, but you could have avoided it. Okay, that's a certain level. It's better than having done it on purpose, but it's not quite as good as having not done it at all. So the Gemara is puzzled by this contradiction. In one place it says that if you do proper teshuva, it becomes like a zchus, a mitzvah. Imagine that, you ate, you ate uh, non-kosher food or you didn't keep Shabbos. It's like you kept Shabbos or you ate kosher. And in the other reference it says, no, it becomes like a shoigeg. It becomes like an inadvertent fault. So what is it? Which one is it? Says the Gemara. V'tirtzu kan kan Says the Gemara, it's a difference in the type of teshuva that you do. Did you do the teshuva from yira? From fear, remember what I said right at the beginning of the share? Somebody points a gun at you. There's a simplicity in the relationship. You have fear of God, you don't want retribution. That's one level of teshuva. And then there's another level of teshuva. Teshuva, I love God so much, I don't want to upset Him. I love God so much, I want my relationship with Him to be perfect. That's a whole different level. That's a whole different story. That's a different type of teshuva. So which teshuva is it? Is it teshuva of Meira or is it teshuva of uh, Ahava? The Hine. Meahava hu teshuva illa'a. If you love God, if you truly have a relationship of God, with God that is made up of the ultimate love. Hu teshuva illa'a. That's the ultimate level of teshuva. That's really the best. It's illa'a havaya benikud elokim kanoida. Do you know that there is a form of God's name which is made up of the, it's the 
tetragrammaton as we call it, yud k vov k. You know what that is? There's a yud and then there's a hey, and there's a vov and the hey. How we read it as if it says alaf dalad nun yud. But sometimes, depending on how the nikud, the how the vowels appear, we don't read yud k vov k as alaf dalad nun yud. We read it differently. We read it like elokim. Alaf lamad hey yud mem. It's the same word, Yudke Vovke, but we read it differently. That's the ultimate form of God's name. It's the form of God's name that is God's name as Yudke Vovke, but we read it Elohim. Says the Igra de Kala. Listen to this, it's absolutely fascinating. And he says, This is how we explain the source. It's a posuk in Hosea, in Hosea. Shuvo Yisrael ad Hashem Elohekecho. Do you know what it means when Hosea says, you, the Jewish people, should return to Hashem Eloikecha? You need to return when you do Teshuva. You need to return to God, to the Shem Havaya, to the Shem, the name of God, Yudke Vovke, but with the reading of Eloikecha, not the reading of Ada Alef Dalad Nun Yud. We know that a person, a human being is known as a Tomim. Why? Because for all the time that he is in the physical world, everything that he does that is essentially dedicated to the one above. Now, if that which he does to one of the one above is going to be somehow colored by the fact that he's doing it because he has fear of God. He's fearful of retribution. He's fearful of getting himself a bad name in heaven. Okay, but you understand what I mean? That there's somehow a fear, there's somehow awe of God involved in his relationship with God, then that which he does in terms of teshuva means that his sins are, are no longer sins. They're considered accidents. That's not the highest level. He can't be considered complete. Why? He still did something wrong. When you do something wrong, you still did something wrong. Even if you did it by mistake, you still did something wrong. You know, sometimes you, you just uh, you move your hand right on a table and a glass fell off the table and it broke. Oh, it was an accident. I didn't mean it. But the glass still broke. That, the glass is still not there. It's gone. He did something against Hashem in his life. He broke the glass. It's broken. There's something wrong in his life. There's nothing he can do about it. And somehow his creation will be damaged. Somehow it's, there's a worthlessness in his creation, in his being, in the physical, material world. But that's not the case if his zdoinos, if his sins become like merits. Why not? Imagine you broke a glass and you could flick your fingers and the glass comes back together. There it is, as it was before you knocked it off the table. It's no longer broken. That's teshuva. That's the ultimate level of teshuva. How is that achievable? You know how? Because if he does teshuva properly, because he loves Hashem, and that relationship with Hashem is so powerful, even though he's done an Avera, if he did Teshuvah properly, obviously he's been through Hilchus Teshuvah in every possible level of what Teshuvah means. He did Teshuvah. Then you know what happens? When he did something wrong, it's as if he put on Tefillin. It's as if he ate kosher. It's as if he kept Shabbos. That's what he says. It's powerful. That's what it means, Tomim Tia. That's what it means. You must be Tomim. You must aim for the highest level. You must aim for the human condition. 
that is the ultimate form of what it means to be God's creation. You must be complete throughout your life and in everything that you do. It's so powerful. Says the Igra de Kala. Do you know what it means? Don't settle for second best. Don't settle, settle for the fact that you can be an okay guy. I did Navera, but I did Teshuva because I'm fearful of the consequences. No, no. You've got to do Teshuva because you love Hashem. Because Hashem loves you. Because you have a relationship with God that's so powerful, like a father to a child. That form of perfect love that will turn the things that you have done wrong into a zechus, into a merit, because the teshuva that you did was complete. I'm going to miss out the next piece of Igra de Kala. You can look at it in your source sheet. I'm going to go straight to the Divrei MS of the Chais of Lublin, the foundational figure of Polish, uh, the Polish Hasidic world, a Talmud of the Mezrich Magid, a Talmud also of Rabbi Melech of Lizhensk. He was, he was somebody who created the Hasidic movement in, um, in Poland, a very, very influential figure in Jewish life and somebody whose, whose uh, teachings are revered to this day. I want to share with you what he says about Tomim Tia in Mashem Leikecha. How many mitzvahs do we have in the Torah? We said already, we have 613 mitzvahs. What is that based on? If you look at the Gemara, you'll see that it's based on the fact that we have 248 evorim, limbs, whatever that may mean. We're not quite sure what exactly it means, but um, parts of your body. And we also have shasagidim. We also have um, 300 um, and 65 gidim and each one of those the, sh- the remach evorim is mitzvahs asay of uh, positive commandments and shasagidim 365 negative commandments things that you're not allowed to do says the chayz of Lublin in Divrei MS he says that the remach evorim shasagidim shal odom guf v'nefesh v'imloi kaim hakoyl if you're not able to complete everything using every aspect of your human body, if there's some part of you that is not actively involved and actively engaged in doing the mitzvahs, the 613 mitzvahs of Hashem, who chaser, you are lacking. You lack something. You can't say, you can't pick and choose and say, you know, I like this mitzvah. It's a great mitzvah. I love keeping Shabbos. I mean, listen, taking the day off on the weekend, it's a good thing. I don't need electronics. I don't need to. I love Shabbos. I'm going to keep Shabbos in every aspect of Hilchus Shabbos. The problem is I can't keep kosher. I don't like keeping kosher so much. Or vice versa. Or you find some other aspect. You don't like menodam lachavera. You know what? I'm very, very religious in all the ritual mitzvahs. And never ever missed Shachris Mincho Mariv. But when it comes to honesty in business, I'm not so fussy about that. I'm not so busy with that. But I'm a very firm person. Says the Chayz of Lublin. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. You have to be Tomim in Mashem Kecha. You have to be complete. Every aspect of your life has to be dedicated to God. Even those things you don't particularly like. They're not high on your list of priorities if you are lacking in any of those mitzvahs you are lacking in tomim tiyeh im hashem aloikecha why ki shem havaya baruchu koilel hakol because the name of hashem includes everything tomim tiyeh im hashem aloikecha you must be complete because hashem himself is complete and therefore you as a human being as a person of faith must embrace all those aspects of God's commandments. Those that you like and those that you don't like. That's what the Chayz of Lublin says. The Me'ah Shiloach, the Ishbitzer, has another interpretation. This is source seven in your source sheet. Tomim im kecha. The Gemara in the Dorim, he quotes the Gemara in the Nadorim, it's Daflamad Bey Samad Aleph. The Gemara says, Anybody who is a Tomim, God will be a Tomim with him. Uh, 
very confusing statement, very perplexing, confounding. What does it mean that God will be complete with him? What does it mean to be complete? Says the Ishbitzer. Hainu be'im ha'odam oiveit Hashem izbarach ve'im shum hisparus mizeh. Somebody worships God. Somebody has faith in God. Somebody is devoted to God. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think much of it. That's obvious. It's totally obvious. He's not going to say, you know, I'm such a fantastic person. You know, have you seen me? I'm so faithful to God. Have you seen how wonderful I am? I do everything that God... No, no. There's none of that. He just does it. As a matter of fact. nivra, Because he was created. And God created him. He knows that God created him. And therefore he must worship him. He must do things for God because God created him. If that's his method of relating to God, says the Ishbitzer, it's reciprocal. God will behave towards him as he behaves towards God. Says the Gemara. Then God will behave like a Tomim towards him. Unquestioning. Faithful to him like he is faithful to God. And when God does good for him. You know, we all need good. We all need God's favor, as it were, in our lives. He's not going to in any way detract from his merits. He's going to go to heaven with a full bank account of merits, a full bank account of good deeds. Why? Because God will behave to him like a father towards a son. If we behave towards God in a, in a, a matter of complete faith, in, a, in an aspect, in a in our, our characteristic is of our faith that we behave towards God without conditions, without thinking through it first. There's no consideration of, of prid, a quid pro quo. We're just doing it because we know we were created. Here we are in God's world. We must do what God wants from us. Then God will behave towards us in that way as well. Tomim tiem Hashem kecha. He says that's what the Pasuk means. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to tell us. You want to have the ultimate in relationship with God? Then Tomim Tiyeh em Kecha. That's what the Gemara in the Dore means. And finally, let's look at the Kedushas Levi. Reb Levi Yitzchok of Berdichev. Let's explain this Pasuk of Tomim Tiyeh em Kecha. Those who pursue material matters of this world, the material benefits of this world, materialism, you're always lacking something. It doesn't matter what you have, there's always somebody, somebody that has more or something that you don't, don't have that you want. When you're going to be completely with God, if, you, if your entire life is devoted to God, then you can be a Tomim. And in that situation, you won't be lacking anything. You won't think to yourself, okay, I have things that I want and I need and my life is okay, but surely I could have more. If I only had a bit more money, another car, if I had, you know, if uh, people would do this to me, if I had that job, if I had something else, there's always something else. What if, you know, the people who live their lives in terms of what if, that is not a Tomim. That's not Tomim TM Hashem Alekecha. There's no what if in this world. You have what you have and you have faith in God and your faith in God is on the basis of Tomim. And if that's your attitude towards God, then every single day, your simcha, your happiness, your joy in God will, will increase. What more do I need? I have everything I need. This is so typical of Rebbe Yitzchak of Berdichev, who saw everything in a positive light. He saw this posuk in a positive light. My life is perfect. And somebody could say to you, your life isn't perfect. There's things that are wrong in your life. Oh no. The things that are wrong in my life is what God wants for me. That's part of the Tomim. That's part of what God wants in my life. That must be part of the perfection. That must be part of the completeness that God wants for me in my life. Tomim tiem Hashem Says Moshe Rabbeinu to the Jewish nation. 
You must always be complete with Hashem. Your faith in God must embrace every aspect of your life. You must be looking over your shoulder at others to see how they live their lives. Your life is what you have and that's what God wants for you and from you. And with this, we'll leave it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.